Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today, we are launching an exciting new project. This episode serves as an introduction to the Titanic inquiries that were held in the aftermath of the Titanic disaster. One was held in America and the other in the UK. In subsequent episodes, we will be releasing dramatisations of the inquiry so you can hear the testimonies of people in their own voices. We will be hearing from Lady Duff Gordon, one of only two passengers interviewed in the British inquiry, Fred Barrett, an entertaining stoker from Liverpool, Charles Lightoller, the Titanic's highest-ranking surviving officer, and Annie Robinson, a first-class stewardess charged with looking after the children of some first-class passengers. Each provides a fascinating and unique insight into the events that day. This has only been possible because of the work of the Titanic Inquiry. You can find it at titanicinquiry.org. A Herculean task to transcribe the many thousands of pages of the Titanic Inquiries. To find out more about this brilliant project, I spoke with one of those keen transcribers, Rob Otmers, a man immersed in historical knowledge of the ship and the events leading up to and in the aftermath of of that terrible sinking. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him. Here is the brilliant Rob. Rob, thank you very much indeed for joining me this morning. Hey, Sam, it's a pleasure. Thanks. So it's such a wonderful project, this uh, this uh, Titanic transcription project. Tell me about um, how it got started. Well, actually, there were two different uh, projects in the early 90s that uh, I was heading one. I was actually doing it pretty much by myself, uh, transcribing both the British and the American inquiries. And then a, a gentleman over in England was doing doing the same over there. And uh, we just kind of got introduced and we uh, merged the two projects and that was how TIP was born. Amazing. And how long has it been going on for? Uh, well, we uploaded in uh, the late 90s, so it's been going on for 20 some odd years now. Well, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I'm very impressed. Um, let's start by talking about the American inquiry. What was going on there? Uh, basically, it was the shock of the the tragedy and people were wanting answers. And the government was sitting there saying, no, we got to do something. 
you know, you can't you can't just not answer a tragedy. So you had uh, Senator Smith decided he was going to uh, he wanted to use the Commerce Committee to uh, investigate. And they did. And, you know, the American inquiry was kind of more of a rough inquiry, if you would say. It wasn't as uh, refined as the British inquiry or as uh, proper. Um, right. They asked questions that people thought were just stupid. I mean, what is ice? <laughs> Give us some examples. Go on. What is ice composed of? Uh, that was a question, a question. that uh, Smith asked uh, Fifth Officer Lowe. You know, right. and I mean, they just they they asked questions, but their methodology might have been off. But they got to some some of the stronger, I guess, answers in terms of what happened, and uh, in terms of you know what to do going forward. So it was a political inquiry. Was it run by politicians or was uh, were the questions asked by lawyers? No, it was actually the senators were asking the questions. Mm, that's yeah. interesting. I wonder if they had a, a political bent on what questions they were asking. They might have. There's, I mean, like with anything, there's, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the questions. They could have asked deeper questions, you know, and, you know, followed certain tangents a little bit further to get more information that might have helped. And some say that they kind of bent away from asking questions that put, you know, the government in a bad spot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting as well that the Americans even had an inquiry. It was a British ship. So um, were they what what was going on there? Well, technically, it was a British ship in that it was registered in England. However, um, White Star Line Oceanic Steam Navigation Company owned owned them and they were owned by IMM, which was an American company. It was one of J.P. Morgan's. Interesting. And were, were there were, were there many um, many Americans on board the Titanic? Yeah, there were a large percentage of first class were American. Um, third class, of course, was a, a lot of uh, Europeans and such trying to immigrate. Um, and second class was hodgepodge, but there were there were a number of Americans in, in each class. And what were the main concerns of the of the American in- inquiry? What were they trying to find out? Basically, what caused it. I mean, just like the British inquiry, they were they were both trying to find out what caused it. Um, and, you know, I mean, even inquiries today, we're trying to find out what caused it. Not so much because we can't do anything about what happened, but we can, you know, protect ourselves for the future. Yeah. And what were their main conclusions? Um, well, main conclusions, the ship was traveling too fast for the conditions. I guess they said proper lookout was not necessarily kept. And... Uh, there were a lot of changes that needed to be made. Again, this is where both both inquiries kind of protected the governments because they what they didn't go into is why wasn't there proper uh, you know lifeboats for all on board? And there's there's a lot of reasoning for that. Um, so they 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 did come out with a lot of changes that benefited seafarers from that point forward. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some of the uh, the characters that were interviewed during the American inquiry. Well, you had, I mean, you had uh, Officer Lightoller. Uh, he testified at both. I mean, all the officers testified at both. But he was really seen as protecting the White Star Line image. He he kind of worked away from questions that put them on the spot. And uh, then you had Low. Low at times, I think Low was kind of combative. He didn't. He didn't necessarily think they should be asking. They had the right to ask the questions, and so he, his question. You know what, what I told you earlier, where uh, Smith asked him about what what is ice composed of. His answer was water, I guess. 
yeah. or something to that effect. But it's like, yeah, I mean, he was that way. Uh, you had uh, you had a number of different people. You had uh, Stanley Lord of the uh, Californian. He was uh, he was really just kind of a stickler, you know, a strict. He was a, he was a strict disciplinarian on his ship, and some say his his crew didn't like him. And he came in thinking he was just going to testify, and all of a sudden he comes to find out, oh no, I'm not test. I'm not just testifying as a witness. I'm all of a sudden being accused. Yeah. So I mean, you had you had the character, a lot of different characters, and um, you know the uh, the American inquiry. I guess in a sense it was looser um, that they would just they would ask just questions that really didn't seem that you know to matter that much, but. Some of them actually brought out good, you know, good information. Mm. Did they interview a broad range of the passengers who were on board? I believe so. They did talk to several of the passengers. And um, that was, the, I guess, the one thing that the American inquiry did, whereas the British inquiry didn't, was they, they solicited the, uh, you know, the, the opinions of the passengers on what happened. So they got a slightly broader scope of what happened on the disaster for both sides, crew and passenger. That's interesting. In terms of uh, content as well, is there more in the American inquiry than the British? No, not really. No, I think that in terms of uh, overall content, I believe the British inquiry, uh, well, it lasted longer and more questions were asked at the British inquiry. Hmm. Give us an example of something that you came across whilst reading it that really... Um, sort of caught your interest? Uh, well, for me, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that caught my interest. The one that pops to mind right now is uh, Barrett, uh, Frederick Barrett, his testimony on the uh, the bunker fire. Because that one back then, I mean, this is you're talking about memories from the 90s. Um, but when he when I was reading the about the bunker fire, there was also a talk on the internet about it as well, just not as much. Um, and it was interesting how different people perceived his comments to be as to the extent of the damage. And now you have a book out that says, you know, that bunker fire was probably a major contributor to the disaster. And again, it's different people's opinions on what they've read and how they, you know, perceive that, you know, what Barrett truly meant by the damage. Hmm. What do you, how do you think the the bunker fire um, played a part? I not nearly as much. I don't believe that the the bunker what, the fire actually caused anything. Yeah, it caused the uh, some bending of the steel inside the bunker, and uh, there was talk of the bunker collapsing. But my recollection of the testimony was that the bunker collapsed not there but elsewhere. And by that, I don't mean not the bulkhead there collapsed, but it didn't. I don't believe it collapsed in that bunker. I believe it's more towards the watertight door. Interesting. Well, we've also um, picked out a couple of examples of female um, uh, female passengers who were there at the British inquiry. I'm, I'm not actually sure if they were there at the American one as well. Do you know that? No. 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 In fact, the only two passengers that were called to the British inquiry were... Uh, uh, Sir Cosmo and Lady Duff Gordon. And mm. actually, they were the only reason they were called was because they asked to be. That's interesting. Did they have um, uh, something they needed to get off their chests? Yeah. When Well, when they left Titanic, they left in uh, Lifeboat One, which was one of the emergency cutters. 
And they left in a boat that could carry, I believe it was 35 or 40, and 12 people got in the boat. And Mm -hmm. they pulled away, and uh, sometime during the night while they were in the water, Lucille had said to her attendant, Laura Francatelli, I think is her name, you know, look, there's your beautiful nightdress gone. And one of the, uh, I guess the crew members in the boat said, you know, you're, what you lost, you can replace. We've lost our entire kits, and we have no money to replace that. Well, they get on board Carpathia, and the next day, uh, Sir Cosmo hands each one of these crew members a uh, hand-drafted check for five pounds for each one of them to replace their kit. And then that group gets together and has a picture taken of the survivors of that boat. And this story kind of grew steam as they approached the, you know, the, the states. And then you have uh, the press is sitting there going, you know, hey, did you bribe them not to go back, not to go, you know, rescue people in the water? You could have taken a lot more people. And uh, that's what it started being bad press for those two. And so they decided they wanted to get their names cleared. And that's why they requested to be at the British Inquiry. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, what about Annie Robinson? Tell us about her. Well, Annie, she's interesting in the sense uh, the British Inquiry only called two stewardesses. And Annie actually, for a lot of the crew members, Annie had a, her story was a little more in depth in terms of what she saw, or I guess a little more rich in terms of what she saw that night. Um, you know, she she actually talked about when she woke she started rousing her charges, and then she turned around, and at one point, I gather, she went forward, and she saw water coming up the stairs at above the mailroom, which meant, you know, G-deck was basically flooded. And then she turned around, and as she was doing different things, she recalls having run into uh, Captain Smith and uh, also Thomas Andrews. And I believe, from recollection... She's the one that Andrews told, you know, get put your life belt on. You know, if you, if you value your life, put your life belt on. And I, that's kind of what made it into some of the movies recently, where he's talking to the stewardess, telling her, you know, let them see you with your life belt on, or if you value your life, put your life belt on. Yeah. Um, it was interesting in the, uh, I think it was the Lightoller um, inquiry that I was reading, and when he was talking about, uh, wearing wearing a life belt and the difficulties that it, it caused with swimming is that something that you've come across yeah i mean they 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 were worried so much about a lot of different things then uh, they they worried that you know if people jumped into the water with that life belt on that it would come up and snap their necks that was a that was a concern and i guess that was something that had happened previously and i mean quite literally the only thing life belt life jacket well, life belt, I guess, was going to do is just hold you above the water. And I mean, swimming wasn't, they were not, they were cumbersome. They were not something you were going to easily swim in. And did it, um, the question of looking out for ice come up in the inquiries? Were people quizzed about whether there were sufficient people looking out for ice, whether um, they sort of um, had taken the appropriate precautions? Yeah, I mean, that was that uh, many different uh, people from not only Titanic's crew, but other shipmasters that were called before the British inquiry were quizzed about that particular point. And uh, 
pretty much a lot of them said the same thing that uh, Titanic said. They believed that they had sufficient lookout and that even Lightoller himself said it, you know, that uh, I believe the conditions that night, it was brilliantly starry, starry night and uh, a calm sea. We should be able to see, you know, reflections from a long distance. And uh, other captains just mentioned that, you know, they might have put a, a person in the forecastle, you know, right up at the bows of the ship, you know, lower to the water, and he might have had a better vantage point. Um, so, yeah, they, there was a lot of questions on that. Yeah. And what about the speed of the ship? Um, does it go into much detail explaining, what, you know, how fast they were going when they sped up and slowed down? Um, what does the inquiry tell us about that side of things? Well, it basically they were going, they weren't going at uh, top speed yet. They had, they still had five uh, single-sided boilers that hadn't been lit yet. They were planning on lighting them on Sunday. Um, and that was when they were going to do Titanic's speed test to see what she could do. So they were, they were doing right around 22 knots. And uh, they just maintained speed. And that was something that was testified again by a lot of the masters and such like that, that you, you didn't slow down. And I guess that's, there's, I've heard there's talk of two, or there's two different types of liners out there. There's the blue, uh, blue water liners or the, the blue, whatever liners. Those are your, your on schedule liners. They, they got to keep schedule. You, you can't slow down or you're not going to be a captain very long. So that was the main thing, but you know, behind these liners going at, you know, maintaining speed, you, no matter what, until you sight something. So, yeah. uh, tell us about what happened when the ship went down and what we find out about that in the inquiry. Well, I mean, there's a, a decent amount of testimony about the, as the, you know, the different stages of the ship going down, um, fall back to Barrett, um, talking about, you know, the, some of the things and what makes him interesting to me is some of the things he talked about were happening in the bowels of the ship. And there's not many people that were called that were remained down there as long as he did and survived. But, you know, he talks about opening a manhole cover down on the uh, stoke floor. And then, uh, one of the, I think it was Shepard, one of the engineers walked over and fell in and broke his leg. So you know where Shepard ended up. I mean, they mm. they didn't get a Shepard out of there. So you, you get you you know you get to hear about how the water is progressing and you know how it's coming through the, the initially coming through the sides of the plate right where he was standing and it actually hit him as it came in. And then they, when they went around to the uh, next uh, boiler room, there was water coming into the stokehold, and uh, they were talking about it coming in like a fire hose. And that, I mean that that you really don't have a lot of testimony forward to that, except for people looking down on it, because by then the, everything was flooded. You could see the mailmen dragging, you know, mail sacks up from G to F deck. Then later on, as the ship's progressively going down, you see she starts listing to one side and then lists to the other side. And there were concerns about, you know, the launching of the boats and such like that. Um, and as as the you know progressed, you also had the the loading of the boats. I mean, Lightoller was very hesitant to fully load a boat because he wasn't sure of the falls and he wasn't sure if the boat wouldn't buckle in the middle if he filled them completely. And his thought process was, we'll fill them somewhat and then we'll send them down to the water and have the people fill from the you know the doors you know D deck uh, doors downstairs. And he had sent a crew down to open the D deck doors, but they they were. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Never heard from again. So um, just things like that. And I mean, as, as it got further down and further down, Lightoller would go in and he'd look down the stairwell and he would see the water coming up more and more and more. And he, that's when he said he got, you know, more risk taking, he would take, uh, you know, load more people, fill the boats and send them away. And ultimately, I mean, that saved more people than if he had just kept with what he was doing towards the end there. I mean, the ship basically was everybody, but by that point knew she was going down and she'd, uh, I don't know, she probably attained 10 degrees down by the nose. And that's when so there was a, a sudden plunge, as it was described by Lightoller. And he just basically jumped off into the water and tried to swim away from the ship. And, uh, of course, he got sucked into the grating ahead of the forward funnel. And he was held there because the water was rushing down into the uh, boiler rooms. And then all of a sudden, I guess a gust of steam is what he describes came up and pushed him off of it, and he was able to swim free. And then the ship just kept going down. It kind of it gained speed going down, and it attained a, I don't know, I don't, I, I've seen, you know, images showing it at 45 degrees and such like that, but I, myself and a lot of friends that talk about it, it might have gotten to 15, maybe 20 degrees out of the water before the, the back broke. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Because Lytle is very specific that when he was in the water or looking at it, it, it didn't. He said that it didn't break. Right. Yeah. And that that's the thing is there the I guess in the in the whole sense of the story is it's it's just fascinating the differences of you know perspective based on where you were mm. because there are people uh, Jack Thayer he was a uh, he was a young young kid there and he actually drew a couple of drawings of it later showing that the ship breaking in half and he was adamant that it broke in half some some others were as well and they actually to me they had a better perspective light taller of course was in the water fighting for his life you know he i think about it, he's freezing the 29 degree water and he's freezing in it and trying to stay away from this ship that's going down right beside him uh so i don't know that he necessarily had the best vantage point i don't i certainly don't take anything away from what he said 
But I think from his vantage point was just not ideal to see how the ship went down. Mm. So taxing physically as well. Um, uh, Frederick Barrett, who said that he just passes out, he gets it into a um, uh, a lifeboat and he's rowing. He takes charge of it, I think, and mm-hmm. then he just says that you know he he just um, he had no more recollection. Yeah, yeah. He actually yeah, he testified that he he had taken charge of the boat and then he had somebody else take over for him and he just went to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, it's all, all, all very shocking stuff. Um, it does raise this idea about the accuracy of of what people were saying. What are your views on that? Well, I mean, it, it's a, a the age old thing about testifying later from memory is yeah. you've got time to think about it, and it's like okay, so you also have time to write something else into the story that maybe wasn't there, and it's it's a, not saying anything against anybody it's just you you recollect differently yeah you know that that the funny thing is a lot of a lot of uh, lawyers and such say that the best witness is a kid because they don't tend to want to uh they don't tend to try to think things through they just answer a question yeah that's uh, that's not not something i've heard of before but i really like it (laughs) i just encourage you all to uh, get some oral history of children to find out what's been going on in the world over the last (laughs) however many years um there's another interesting bit as well about the um there's an incident with the lifeboats isn't there where one um almost lands on top of another one yeah um does that uh, tell us about that well that was lifeboat 13 and 15 and that's the one barrett left and he left in 13 and as they were lowering they came um, basically beside one of the discharges that was pumping the water out of the ship. And that discharge actually forced that lifeboat backwards and basically pushed it under the now lowering lifeboat 15. And quite literally, they had to cut the falls off that 13 boat and push it away from the ship. And some of the story or some of the testimony is that they got it away from the boat just in time because 15 sat down right beside it or right Right, you know, kind of caddy from it. Mm. And do we get a sense of um, how the whole women and children first thing actually worked out in practice? Well, it depended on what side of the boat you're on. If you were on the port side, Lightoller was in charge of it, and he had a very strict enforcement of women and children. In fact, while he the boats he oversaw the loading of, only one male passenger was allowed to get in it. I mean, of course, the crew got he. he put crew in them, but no male passengers. That was strictly enforced by him. Uh, the one male that he did allow in, he had actually been asking for crew members to come up and man the boat. And Major Arthur Pushin had said that, uh, I'm not a uh, um, sailor, but I'm a yachtsman. And he said, well, if you're good enough to get down those falls, he said, get in the boat. So that was the lone male on the support side. Starboard side, Murdoch was a lot different he would look for the women and children, and they were first. But if there were no, this, again, going back to testimony, if there were no more women and children, he would allow men in. So the starboard side, you had if you were a male, you had a much better chance. Ah, so Lightoller was it was women and children uh, to the exclusion of anyone else. Pretty much, yes. He, he was more women and children only. Hmm. Uh, did um, does the testimony? give us any sense of how well order was maintained while all of this was going on? Yeah. Uh, the, the officer's testimony um, in a pretty much 
gives you an idea that for the most part, people people remained calm. I mean, for the first, I, I would say probably hour or so, they really didn't think the ship was going to sink. And that's why there, there was a hesitancy for even the women to get in the lifeboats because it was like, why would I leave this grand ship and get in that little boat and go sit in the cold sea? And there was even joking going on about it. Um, after that, I mean, you had towards the end of the sinking, you had you had loss of uh, control at certain points. Lytoller at one point had to uh, brandish his gun and uh, tell the men, you know, get back because they were trying to rush. And they actually had a group of men get into one of the boats that he ordered them out. And that's I, I believe that's when he actually brandished the gun to show them. Um, other side of the boat, you had uh, Lowe, you know, actually had to uh, discharge his his weapon off, the, off down the side of the ship because he had men, you know, starting to, uh, you know, I guess be aggressive to getting towards the boat. And that's his way of, you know, backing them up. And then there's, I mean, there's side, you know, I guess second person or third person talk of uh, Murdoch actually do, having to do somewhat the same uh, with the boats he was kind of overseeing there towards the end. So at the end, you were seeing panic and such like that. Mm. Was there much publicity around these inquiries? Did the, did the general public know about what was going on? Yeah, the the newspapers made sure on both sides of the, uh, you know, both sides of the pond, they made sure that it, this was the biggest story of that time. And it, I mean, even here in Kansas City, the newspapers here, lived off these inquiries for a couple of months. Right. And what was the impact of, of all of this inquiry? I and mean, I think it's fascinating because it's a little exercise in contemporary history for the survivors of the Titanic trying to work out what had happened and what had gone wrong. Um, were there many changes made to do with safety at sea in the aftermath of the disaster? Sure. The primary thing that came out of the inquiries was what what do we need to do going forward to prevent this? And... So they decided, you know, um, never again we're going to send a, a ship will go to sea without lifeboats for everybody. So the idea, when Titanic and Olympic and them were built, the uh, regulations called for lifeboats for a ship of the size of 10,000 tons. Titanic, 46,000. So, I mean, four times that size. And they didn't change the lifeboat uh, regulations. And if, looking at it, with the regulations that existed, they were technically above what was necessary. They exceeded the regulations, um, but it was not enough. So it became down. It came down to never again is the ship going to sea without lifeboats for every body. So if you can take three thousand bodies, you're going to have lifeboat capacity for three thousand. Mm. Um, then you have, of course, uh, the uh, wireless or radio. Most ships at the time, they had one wireless operator who went to bed in the evening, so overnight hours, of course, when this happened, a lot of ships weren't even on, you know, they weren't listening, Californian to be one of them. So it became necessary wireless 24 hours a day. You, you had 24-hour vigil on the, on the radio for just these situations. Uh, safety of life at sea, that's when they started saying, okay, let's look at the, everything from the design of the ships to the running of the ships, you know, what these are rules, what you do. And they started changing, you know, you no longer ran into ice fields or ran into, you know, unsafe conditions or unsure conditions at full speed. 
beforehand it had been that was what you did then you had uh the international ice patrol which was a direct result of the uh, titanic it was every year that they send out cutters and they locate and identify the icebergs coming off the uh you know the northern areas into the atlantic and to this day the u.s coast guard goes out there and flies to titanic's coordinates and drops a wreath and that's every year because that's again international ice patrol came about as a result of that well there's a bit of good news at the end mm-hmm. um uh, well it's fascinating um do please uh, tell us how to find the titanic inquiry online and also uh, let us know um for a, there's a lot of material there and i was wondering if you had a little bit of advice for a beginner about how to get into it Sure. It, the Titanic Inquiry Project is located at www.titanicinquiry.org. And anybody can get into it. It's fairly simple. Um, the main page has links to all of the day's testimony, the witness lists, and different things and final reports. So I would suggest to anybody that's not been there, just jump in, find you a place where you're, you know, you're interested. You can look for a particular person that you'd like to know what they had to say and just jump in and start reading. Yeah, well, I wish everyone uh, the best of luck uh, with finding out some fascinating facts about the Titanic. Um, Thank you very much indeed, Rob, for talking to us today. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. I appreciate it. Thank you all very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and that you're very much looking forward to the dramatic recreations of that witness testimony. Now, I'd like particularly to say a big thank you here to those who have helped in this transcription process to Bob Bonnell, Earl Chapman, Mike Disabato, Vera and John Gillespie, Linda Greaves, Jane Hilbert, Rob Otmers, Stuart Partridge, Marilyn Powell, Susie Powell, Park Stevenson, Bruce Trank and Bill Wormstead. Without all of your hard work, none of this would have been possible at all so thank you very much indeed please remember that the podcast comes from both the lloyds register foundation and the society for nautical research you can check out the lloyds register foundation's latest project maritime innovation in miniature on their website the best way to find it is to google maritime innovation in miniature they're filming the world's best ship models with the very latest camera equipment and the results are absolutely extraordinary This year we have filmed in the Swedish Maritime Museum, at the Science Museum, at the International Maritime Organisation and at the fabulous Discovery Museum in Newcastle. And you really won't believe just how high quality this footage is. The podcast also comes from the Society for Nautical Research, so please visit them at snr.org.uk and please, please, please join up. They bring you the podcast. In return, please join the Society. It's a fabulous way not only of finding out all about the world's maritime past from the very best in the business, but also of meeting people and having a very nice time.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 